Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. It's not too many times when I, I get to go to a church where I can literally... <laughs> can't quite even reach the sides. I like that. <clears throat> so... Yeah, my name is Nolan Ruby. I'm the pastor of Wasatch Front Baptist Church in Salt Lake City. Um, that church is coming up on three years organized, and um, some of the other things I've been allowed to do there. Lord's a lot of open, a lot of open doors as far as ministry in Salt Lake City. Um, I'm a chaplain with the Salt Lake City Police Department, um, and that I did not see that becoming as big uh, as a part of my schedule as it has become. So on a regular week, the three functions that I'll do for the police department is I'm on call 24-7, and I do a lot of death notifications, um, things like that with that aspect. And then I patrol with the officers, sometimes uh, 20, uh, 25 hours a week. I'm actually with them. And I used to be in law enforcement a little bit, and so I can keep up with them pretty well. I kind of know what to do, where not to go, where to go, and... I've got all the freedom in the world that they've given me to do that. I'm fully armored with them, and so um, it's a lot of fun for me. And then the third part and the most rewarding part is that uh, you just, this is a miracle from God. In a primary, primarily uh, LDS city with a primarily uh, very LDS culture and to include the police department, the um, police department admin has given their officers complete and total liberty uh, while on the clock to come to my office at a Baptist church and receive counseling for just anything they might be going through. Um, As a result of that ministry, we had one except Christ, and um, you pray for him. And uh, there's several others that will come in, and I'm a coffee guy, and so a lot of times in my office there's a fresh pot of coffee on. Um, and the LDS culture does not drink coffee. <laughs> so I'll just tell you this. A lot of times they'll come in and they do one of those look to the left and look to the right and they pour themselves a cup of coffee and I tell them, hey, I'm not going to say anything, you know. <laughs> so they'll take their jacket, they'll take their armor off, sit down and we'll get a chance to visit and uh, I have 100% confidentiality provided to me through the department so that I can um, help counsel, things like that. And uh, police officers, for the most part, are very, very tribal. They uh, talk to other cops. And if you're not one of them, they just really don't have any, you know, it's it's not an attitude thing, it's just an understanding thing. And so because I've walked those roads and chewed some of the same dirt that they've chewed, um, I'm able to earn some trust. Still earning it, I have no expectation of it being demanded um, but it is something that I can earn, and I praise the Lord for that. And then we've got a small Bible college. Um, when I say Bible, it's, it's a Bible institute that over 75% of the church is coming to right now. We just do one class a week. It's more like an extended Sunday. I used to teach in Great Plains Baptist in Sioux Falls, and what I could teach there in one semester takes me two or sometimes three to teach in Salt Lake. It's just a slower process. Um, young church, young people, newly saved. And so I praise the Lord for it. I'm missing my wife. My wife and I have been married 16 years today. Today is our 16th wedding anniversary. And um, you can about imagine how she feels about us (laughs) not being together on this day. 
So I hope you take advantage of this because she's going to let me remember it forever. <clears throat> take your Bibles if you could tonight. Uh, Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. And I, I, I have a very uh, hard time sticking into one place. So I'm probably going to be down and around. And although this is significantly more work up and down these stairs than it would be where I'm normally from. So I might have to just stay put up here. Isaiah chapter 41, let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 21. I'm going to read from 21 down to 29, and then we'll get started this evening. Isaiah chapter 41, starting in verse 21, the Bible says, produce your cause. And that's actually the title of the message. I don't know if you keep notes or do those things. That's the title. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what shall happen? Let them show the former things, what they be, what, uh, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them, or declare us things for to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that ye are God's, little g there, yea, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and behold it together. Behold, ye are of nothing. And your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come from the rising of the sun. Shall he call upon my name, and he shall come upon princes as upon mortar. And as <clears throat> the potter treadeth clay, who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time that we may see, he is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth, yea, there is none that heareth your words. The first shall say to Zion, Behold, behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that bringeth good tidings. For I, behold, and there was no man, beheld, excuse me, and there was no man even among them, and there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll begin this evening. Father, as we lay these things out from your word this, this evening, I pray that you would have your way, that you would guard the content, Father, jealously, and that whatever we might have brought into your house that has no business being here, Father, I pray you cleanse our hearts and minds of that, and that we'd lay ourselves out very vulnerable before you this evening, and that you would do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Produce your cause. This is always, now whenever you're reading the book of Isaiah, there's three things that you're going to want to keep in mind. Isaiah, they call it the mini Bible, 66 chapters. Um, it, it's quoted more in the New Testament by Jesus Christ than any other book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah. <clears throat> and there's things that are being told that are historical fact. There's things that are being laid out that are his, uh, prophetical um, uh, prophecies. And then there is the uh, poetic nature of all of this, the things that we apply to ourselves today. It's a wonderful book. I love preaching out of Isaiah. But just by way of introduction, I want, in, in more ways than, than we should, we come to the Lord sometimes with our own agenda. We come to the Lord with our own agenda. <clears throat> and we attempt to debate with him our reasoning when we should be accepting his will more than coming to him saying, well, here's what I figured out. I just need you to go ahead and rubber stamp that for me. 
That's not exactly the way that we should be coming to the Lord. The Lord is interested in us. Who we are according, or excuse me, who we are in accordance with his will for our life is who he's interested in. He's not all that interested in who we want to be in accordance with our will for our own life. Okay, now we live in a society that's very much the, con, the, the constant opposite of that. And if you remember back, I don't remember what year it was when <clears throat> there was like 16 or 17 presidential candidates. Um, anyway, one of them had a, a, a slogan that it, it said, live your truth. Live your truth. As if you are the sole and independent identifier of truth. And every other aspect of every soul on the planet must kowtow to you and your definition of what is true. And that's not what truth is. I was in a coffee shop the other day, and um, my last name is Ruby, and (laughs) I don't often use that name. I got to get down here. I feel so, I'm going to come down here and walk around. I, I don't often use that name when people ask me what my name is, but you know, you get your cup of coffee and they... They say, well, what, what name do you want us to put on the cup? And I said, Ruby. Just, I wasn't even thinking. And the lady looked up at me. Now, I, I <laughs> and I had no idea what she was thinking. She said, well, what's your preferred pronoun? <laughs> About lost my mind. <laughs> and then I realized well, let's just play with this a little bit. <laughs> if this is an open thing, let's just see how far I can take this. And so I said, well, the Irish Lord of War. <laughs> she wrote it on my cup. Okay? And then when they, my cup of coffee was ready, you had this person with 17 different colors in their hair have to scream out the Irish Lord of War in a Starbucks... And I was like, wow, all right, yep, that's me, I guess. But that's how far we've gotten in our society. Truth means nothing. We go to sometimes, we we bring that idea into God's house, and we have these aspects of our own understanding that we lay out before God and say, well, here's what I think, here's what I've decided, and because I'm a Christian, I just need your permission, God, before I do these things. That's not what a Christian is. It's not something that we decide and then we go to God for permission. And so you find the Bible says when this subject comes up, the Bible says, God says, verse 21, produce your cause. And that's the first, or that's the title of the message. The first point, I just have three points for you this evening. The first point is the challenge. The challenge. We find that in chapter 41, 21 through 23. It says, produce your cause. It goes on to say, bring forth your strong reasons. It goes on to say, bring forth and show. And then it goes on to say, show and declare. Show these things. Show the things that are to come. It's a very, it's a very much a challenge to someone who's forgotten who they're not. I do this all the time with my kids. I've got three children My son will be 15 here pretty soon. My daughter just turned 13. And so my life with her is somewhere between long, sullen responses and whatever else she feels like on that particular day. So we'll get through it. She's a sweetheart. I'm just playing. And then my youngest is 10. 
And just as kids do, they get to going at each other sometimes. And uh, they've got opinions. They've got things that they've decided is more important than what I have declared is actually important. So one of the things I'll say to them often is, I tell you what, how about we try this? I'll be dad and you be their brother. Let's play that out. Let's see where that takes us. Or with my daughter, I'll say, I tell you what, I'll be their father, you be their sister. And let's just see where that goes. And it's a, very, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shot across the bow a little bit. It's just a reminder of not necessarily who they are, but more importantly, who they're not. And sometimes we as Christians, God's going to just shoot a little reminder shot across the bow to let us know, have you forgotten who you're not? Have you forgotten not who I am, but who you're not? We've gotten this idea that we can get enough experience to be enough of a Christian that we can dismiss God from our affairs. God, I don't need you on this one. I can do it. I've been a Christian since the Dead Sea was just sick. That's a long time. I've got experience, and I've got education, and I speak five languages, and God will say, produce your cause. He'll say, bring forth your strong reasons. The word produce means bring near. It means, let's have a look. Bring it here and lay it out. Let's have a look. Sometimes we, as if God's nervous about our contemplations. And God says, why don't you bring that here? Get it closer to me and let's have a look at it. He says, bring, bring it forth. Which figuratively, figuratively, excuse me, that word means it's uh, to adduce or induce an argument. Isn't that an interesting thought? God inducing an argument with you. He's picking a fight. We bring our agendas to God and God goes, isn't that cute? Well, lay that out. Let's have a look at that. Let's take a look at that. Bring it forth. Bring forth your strong reasons. Goes on to say, the word strong there is a word for argument. And then it says show. It says several times the word show, which means to put it in front, to stand up boldly and announce. It really leans more towards exposure or even prediction. And so you have Jesus Christ, you have God saying, why don't you show me where this is ultimately going to go? You realize it's a rhetorical statement. We can't know where it's going to go. And God's just reminding us of that. He says, produce your cause. Why don't you show me the end of your brilliance? The Bible says in two identical places in Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto the man. The end thereof are the ways of death. And so as convinced as you and I might be that we know what we're doing, that we have our minds wrapped around the right agenda, you might find, folks, that sometimes God walks into your life and challenges you. He's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your Christian experience. He's not afraid. In fact, he wants you to go ahead, produce it. Let's see what you've got. And that's the challenge that he's laying out here. He says, declare it. That's a word that means to hear intelligently and diligently. He says, declare intelligently and diligently 
Put your opinion right up here next to mine and let's see which one goes down first. <clears throat> Not to impress you, but I, I live, I, I, my church is in Salt Lake City proper. The place that we're renting right now is in Salt Lake City proper. And there's a lot of vagrancy traffic in there. I carry all the time. Okay, I was a primary marksmanship instructor for the Marine Corps, and so I just feel better with one. <clears throat> and uh, one day... Somebody comes running into my office and says, Pastor, there is Utah Transit Authority, Utah Police, Taylor, uh, South Salt Lake, uh, South Salt Lake, excuse me, Salt Lake proper, they're all converging on our parking lot. I looked out there and, and sure enough, there's probably seven, eight, nine police officers out there and, and they're running everywhere. And so I <laughs> walked out there and I had found an officer chasing this guy and I looked up over a fence and he had him. I said, hey, are, are you okay? Are you good? He said, I'm, I'm good, but we didn't get the right guy. My, the church where we're at, it's right on 2100 South, brother, 140 West, 2100 South. The tracks run right there, so there's a lot of foot traffic right there. He said there was a stabbing on the tracks, and the guy's wearing, and he described what the guy was wearing, what he looked like. He said, we didn't get him. I said, okay, great. So I walked back over to church, and <clears throat> as I was getting over there, we were going to lock the doors, make sure everything was okay. This guy walked out of one of the side doors, a little storage room, and he fit that description perfectly. And so I'm probably me at a Malinac here, and I see him and he sees me, and we just kind of look at each other. I said, hey, come here. And he did. <clears throat> and he, he reached into his knife, and he, grabbed, he reached into that backpack, grabbed that knife, and he came. And from, and it had been a long time since I, you know, he's like, whoa, <laughs> been a long time. And between those times, I had reached out and, and, and <clears throat> pulled a tool of the trade out of its holster. I cleared leather on him. You ever see someone stop the brakes, almost like a cartoon character? <laughs> right? <clears throat> You've heard the phrase, don't bring a knife to a gunfight? That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. That's sometimes we get our mind wrapped around this idea, well, what I've done has been successful in all these places. Well, okay, if you're a, in this situation a punk guy that goes around train cars stabbing people, you might have been the king in that little world. But not in mine. Okay, now let's move that over to the secular world. You might have figured a few things out and served the Lord and had some success, but as soon as that becomes about you thinking that you did something by your own power, God's gonna remind you, why don't you produce your cause and we'll see who's got the gun in this fight. It's not you, I promise. It's not. And so he says, produce your cause. And he gives all those reasons and those definitions. Let's look at some other Bible verses on this. Isaiah chapter 45. <clears throat> this is the challenge. So we see God challenging us. Chapter 45. If I pick it up, I'm going to read several verses here. I just want you to know that this is the word of God, not my opinion. Isaiah 45. If I pick it up in verse 18, let's just compare ourselves to this. And I'll read down through the end of the chapter. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens. We're off to a good start. The one who created the heavens is telling you to produce your cause. What do you have? Have you created the, <laughs> the heavens? He goes on to say, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, 
and there is none else. There is none else. Verse 19, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. You understand, if you're declaring anything other than the word of God, you're declaring wrong things. This desk and this calling is impossible without God. It's impossible. Verse 20, assemble yourselves and come draw together ye that are escaped of the nations that have no knowledge that set up wood in their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time and who... Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me. As, as just God and Savior, there is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. This is the God that challenges you. He said, there's none else. I'm the God that saves. I'm the author and the finisher as to quote, the New Testament, the author and finisher of your salvation, of our faith. It's not us. We don't accomplish. I tell folks at Wasatch Front Baptist Church all the time, success is not achieved. Success cannot be achieved. Success can be lived. But as soon as you think you've got it, you just lost it. <laughs> My grandfather used to tell me, he said, son, if you knew that you knew nothing, you'd know something. I remember being a kid thinking, I'm going to have to write that down. Look at that again. <clears throat> it goes on to say, verse 23, I have sworn by myself, and the word has gone out of my mouth, in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely <clears throat> shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. All that come against him shall be ashamed. We can bring our own agendas before the Lord, and we ask him to just rubber stamp our own opinions. The Bible says that's a 100% sure cause for future shame. We're not to go to the Lord with our own agendas. We're going to the Lord with an open mind. The Bible says a humble and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart are, the Lord will not despise. That's how we come to the Lord. Okay, Isaiah, uh, let's see here. Go back one chapter, 43, verse 9. 43, verse 9. Let all nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare... This and show us former things. Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, Is it truth? Sometimes the most difficult person in the world to be honest with is the man in the mirror. Sometimes you might do yourself a great favor looking at that man in the mirror and saying, Is it truth? And I want you to remember, if it's not from God's word, it's not truth. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. It didn't say, let God be true and every man a liar except for you. Every man a liar. Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. 
The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from the time and have declared it, ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. There is no God beside God. There is no right answer besides God's answer. And sometimes when the Lord challenges you, it's really not a time to go ahead and take him seriously. <laughs> He's not saying, well, let's, let's talk about this and see which one's better. He's saying, have you forgotten who you're not? Because as Christians, I think it's probably fair to say that none of us would say, well, I've forgotten who God is. But we often do forget who we're not. And we speak for God when God's not speaking. And we take action into our own hands when God, I've heard more prayer requests, I've heard more credit given to God for things God didn't do and more blame put on the devil for things that usually are just the person's own fault. Well, the devil's trying me. No, you played stupid games and you won stupid prizes. Those are two different, those are differences. I tell my sons that all the time. You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. <clears throat> you don't think the Lord's different? The, the Bible, listen, they told me when I was a kid, you can pick the sin. You can never pick the payment. You can choose to do these things. And you might weigh the balance. One time, me and my brother, we were rough runners, my brother and I. Has anybody in here ever met my, my he's been around a little bit. He's about 6'4". And we used to power lift together, and we were just, we were, we were crazy kids. We used to go out to this place called Palisades. And I think every state probably has like a Palisades State Park. It's usually rocks, river goes through there or something like that. Well, where we were, it was forbidden to jump off the rock. You, you, know, you couldn't do this, which, I mean, <laughs> why else would we go? <laughs> and I remember, you know, you start at the 20 foot, and you, by the time we we're done, you know, we're up on this 80-foot rock. It's called the King Rock. The thing about this was that you had to really get a running start because there was a real long ledge, and you had to clear that before you hit the river. And we'd done it several times, you know. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> I remember one day we were up there, and we were getting ready, and all of a sudden we heard this, this person screaming at us. It was Park Ranger. Crossed the river. Said, you're not permitted to do that. There's a fine. My brother, he's kind of a smart mouth. He said, well, how much is the fine? <laughs> she kind of paused. She said, well, I, I'm the judge. I'm 200 does the max. He says, well, I just worked a lot of overtime. I'll see you on the other side. And he jumped. <laughs> right? Now, he cleared it, but I want you to understand something. You know how many times we hit that water, personally, me, and I, I mean, brushed rocks underneath that water? So I might have decided that $200 was, okay, I can pay that. But what if I would have just been a hair inch to the left? There's friends that I grew up with that are paralyzed for life from diving into the, the water at Palisades. Okay, sometimes we go and we take things, the Lord says, don't do that. We'll say, well, I know what the payment is for this, Lord. I, I, I've weighed it and um, the, the ends justify the means. And we find that 
Sometimes we can't be the arbiters of what those payments look like. You know what the worst thing is? Is when the payment skips us and we see it take its effect on our children. And we know, I did that. I did that. Because I'm playing stupid games. And I went to the Lord and said, here's what I want. And the Lord said, no. And we said, well, I'm going to do it anyway, Lord. The Lord said, all right. Produce your cause. Produce your cause. So there's the challenge. There's a lot, a lot in the Bible on that. <clears throat> I didn't read all those verses from Isaiah. I want you to look at Job chapter 38. Job chapter 38. One through three, Job, this is a wonderful section of scripture, from Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, the Lord starts answering Job. Four chapters of rhetorical questions where the, where the God of heaven is asking Job, I suppose you were, where were you when I did this, or where were you when I did this? And he goes on and on and on. Job 38, 1 through 3, the Bible says, Then the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. That'd be a scary confrontation. We've been complaining and arguing with our friends for 37 chapters. And then the Lord says, who is this moron talking to me? Who is this that darkeneth my door? He says, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? How many times, now folks, I, I don't know any of you. Well, some of you I know. <clears throat> but I don't know any of the things and goings-ons. Let me ask you this. How many times do you think our prayer life is darkening God's door with words that have no knowledge. Just empty, vain things. The Bible already told us he wouldn't answer, but we're some kind of special case. We're going to be treated by God differently than God said he would treat people. But we're not. And you might find that the more we do that, God will challenge you one of Job's responses is found in Job 40. First two verses, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Job's response, verse 4, I am vile. He says, he goes on to say, I will lay my hand on my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Sometimes when the Bible, and by the way, the Bible says God makes himself manifest through preaching. So sometimes when God, through your pastor, through the preaching of God's word, makes himself manifest, it's really more of a time for you to lay your hand on your mouth and speak no more. The challenge has been laid out, not to get you to answer it, but to get you to submit to the one who's challenging. So there's the first point, the challenge. Let's look at the second point, the truth. Back to our text, Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. 
So first we read about the challenge. Now let's read about the truth. In verse, chapter 41, verse 24, I'm in Jeremiah, so that won't work. Let me go back here and be where I need to be. Isaiah 41, verse uh, 24, the Bible says here, Behold, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught. An abomination is he that chooseth you. Wow. There's the truth about the best that we can do without God. The best that we can do without God, the Bible says, is an abomination. An abomination. He goes on, verse 28 and 29. The Bible says, For behold, and there was no man even among them, and there was no counselor that when I asked of them could answer a word. Behold, they are all vanity. Their works are nothing. Their molten images are wind and confusion. Vanity, nothingness, abominations, wind and confusion. You understand without God, that's who we are. But sometimes... I've been around churches for 40 years. I was born and raised in a church, and I've watched people come and go. One of the reasons I didn't want to be a pastor, I'm just telling you the truth, is because I watched what people did to my pastor. Oh, I didn't want it. And then I married a pastor's daughter. (laughs) And if you ever meet my wife, you know, you have to be careful. Don't tell her this. She said, are you going to be a pastor? I said, absolutely not. She goes, okay, then I'll marry you. She also said, well, go anywhere as long as it's less snow than South Dakota. You know, in Utah, we broke the record last year for snow. So be careful about those things you lay out before the Lord. Up in the Wasatch Mountains, we had over 900 inches in some places. Whole houses were just buried. Garages just crushed. All them fancy Teslas and Lambos sitting under 900 inches of snow. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious. So after the challenge, God will tell us the truth. He challenges you, produce your cause, and he says the things that are related to his power, and we realize very quickly, well, I I guess I don't have a cause. And then he answers that production of a cause with the truth, and the truth very, very pointedly, verse 24, is laid out very clearly. He says, ye are of nothing, and your work of naught, an abomination is he that chooseth you. Wind and confusion, nothingness, an abomination. Without God, that's who we are. You say, well, I've become more than that. No, God has accomplished more than that with you. But as soon as you think you've arrived, you're falling. As soon as you think I'm experienced enough to do this without God, I'm a Christian enough. Nope, nope. You never achieve success. You can only live it. And you have to live it in the now. You don't schedule it. You know, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? Well, about two years from now, I'm going to schedule a big, fat gift of success to myself. And until then, I'll just eat, drink, and be merry. It's not the way that works. <clears throat> you, you be a Christian Now. It's always now. It's never later. And you can't change what you were or what you weren't. It has to be lived in the now. And as soon as I forget that, the Lord says, you know, abomination. 
wind and confusion. Wind and confusion. Isaiah 44 and verse 9. It's a sad reality of who we are without God. Isaiah 44, 9. They that make a graven image are all of them vanity. And their delectable things shall not profit. And they are their own witnesses. They see not nor know that they may be ashamed. Now it's easy for us to sit in here today and say, well, that's not really for us. Nobody in here is making graven images. Okay. I'll tell you what. Go into the average home and see what all the furniture is pointed to. Just go into your home right now and sit in every chair in your living room or family room and see what is the most easy thing to see. And then tell yourself that you don't have any graven images. Okay, get into your search history on all your smartphones and look through your search history and tell yourself that you don't have any graven images. Do you know what America's number one export is? Number one export, the number one product that America gives the world. Do you know what it is? The Bible refers to them as pleasant pictures. Do I need to go into more detail about what I mean? You say, well, I don't have any graven images. Really, if you have all these streaming services, do you know why your streaming service asks you if you want to watch all these different things? Do you know why it does that? Because it goes back and it sees what you've watched and says, well, if you watch that, you're going to love this. So go see, what are they recommending? And then ask yourself if you don't have any graven images. Because the Lord's going to get personal with you. He's going to challenge you And then he's going to tell you the truth about who you are. And it doesn't matter how shiny our shoes are or how expensive our suits are or how many letters of the alphabet I have behind my name because of all the learning I've done. It doesn't matter. He's going to be honest with you. He's going to tell you the truth. And the worst thing that we as humans do when God starts to tell the truth is make excuses for why it doesn't apply to us. Really, it's not that complicated. I have, my father-in-law is a, a missionary in the Philippines. His name's Cliff Sims. One of the things that he always told me that I really grabbed onto, he said, son, it might be hard, but it's not complicated. Being a Christian might be one of the hardest things you ever do, but it's really not that complicated. Is it in the Bible? Yep, do it. Boy, we, we like to over complicate things, don't we, sometimes? To, to justify our own office. The Lord says, this is not that complicated. I wrote you a whole book, and then I challenged you about the things that you're failing at, and then I told you the truth about who you are without me. What's your job? Accept it, repent, and be done with it. You say, well, there's more to it than that. Folks, no, there's not. There's really not. It is that simple. And it is that hard. Do you know when this gets really sticky most times? Is when it connects to generations. Well, if I do that, my dad's going to think this. Or when I do that, my mom's going to think this. Or my wife didn't get saved until after I married her. Grew up in a Baptist, a Baptist pastor's home. 
The thing that scared her more than anything was what would her parents think if then she got saved. She finally had to decide, I'm not going to hell for anyone. The truth about who we are. You understand, folks, pardon me just a second. <clears throat> it's, not a, it's not a pretty picture. It's never, it's never been one. We're sinners. We're wind. We're confusion. We're emptiness and vanity. We're an abomination. That's who we are. And by God's grace, with God's power, we can be so much more. That's what God's will is for our life. He wants us to be more, but it's him through us doing it. Not us kind of tagging him in when we get a little overwhelmed. You ever come to a point where you realize something and it, it, it was too late after you, like you realized it, but you knew I'm past the, I'm, it's too late now? It doesn't matter that I just realized that. <clears throat> My dad was a champion swimmer. And when I was a kid, he was teaching us how to swim. And you ever been in one of those pools? A big, it's a big Olympic pool, but instead of a drop-off, it's like a gradual slope. And my dad had gotten out of the pool, and he told me, son, I don't want you to go past this point. And uh, he got out of the pool, and he was sitting there on the side of the, the pool. My mother was a nurse at a hospital, so we could go swimming with a total, complete, private pool. Because we could just go at, you know, nobody was there. So he'd teach us how to do all these things. And he got out of the pool one day, and... I must have been 11 or 12 years old. I don't know. But I, I found that slope, and I started to go down it, and the water got kind of high. And I looked at my dad right on the edge of the line. He told me not to cross. I was like, hey, Dad, look how deep I am. He said, son, you better be careful. Oh. So you do that little, you know, the water's coming up, and now the water's here. He's on the side of the pool, and I'm like, hey, Dad, check me out. I mean, this is something special. He goes, son, I told you not to go that far. Yeah, but, Dad, I can do it. Obviously, look at me. You were wrong, Dad. Look at me. I'm doing it. All right. So then you're doing the whole little bit further. And the water gets up to, like, you know, here. And I, now I am, I'm like, Dad, pay me my respect. Look at how good I am at this. My dad's like, son, you better stop, boy. But Dad, look, I'm doing it. He said, no, you're not. You're not doing it. And you're about to lose the whole thing. Ah. And that slope turned into a drop. And down I went. And when you're at the bottom of the pool, you know, you ever look up through the water and all the images are distorted? And my dad's at the top of the pool looking down and, you know, all I see is my dad kind of like, you know, waving through the water. And I'm at the bottom of the pool looking up. And I realized at the bottom of the pool, looking up through however many feet of water, he was right. He was right the whole time. Even when I could still breathe, he was right. 
And he jumped in and got me. Sometimes we do that to the Lord. Lord, look at what I'm doing. Look at how accomplished I am. The Lord says, you better knock it off. And we flirt around with sin. And we play with things that the Bible says God in the Garden of Gethsemane dreaded. A cup of sin. And we treat it like a little puppy. We play with it. We nurse it. You understand that little puppy grows up to be a wolf and it bites you. And when you're dead and bleeding, or worse yet, it got the generation after you and you realize God was right. Yeah, it's too late now. It's too late. Because we didn't accept the truth when they had the opportunity to. And so when God gives the challenge, he'll follow it up with the truth about who we are. Psalm 115, 4 through 8, talks about people making idols. It says, they that make them are like unto them. Deaf, blind, and dumb. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, the Bible talks about idols being nothing. And then Job 40, we already read that, where he says, I am vile. I want you to understand, when the Lord shows you who you are, after he issues the challenge, after he reminds us of who we aren't, after he shows us who we are, he's going to tell you the truth. He always will. About yourself. About yourself, he'll tell you the truth. And the truth is, without God, whether saved or lost, without God, we are wind and noise and confusion and vanity and the work of our hand is an abomination. It's an abomination. The worst thing in the world is when we're successful without God. That's dangerous. Because then I have a bunch of people buy into my definition of who God is. And the Bible says the work of my hands without him is an abomination. How many people do you suppose will stand before God who had access to a person who rejected the truth. Lord, but that person, they said that this is what the Bible said. They said, if I did this, you know, if they said ABC, pray after me, and I would go to hell, or excuse me, I'd go to heaven. They told me it didn't, I didn't need repentance. They just said, all I have to have is faith. They, they just said, do that, and I did it, Lord. It's not my fault, it's theirs. Dangerous. Dangerous. The third and final point, back to our text, Isaiah chapter 41. So when God says produce your cause, number one's the challenge, number two's the truth, number three, finally, Isaiah 41. Let's look at the Savior. Isaiah 41, 25 through 27. The Bible says, I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. From the rising of the sun shall he call upon my name. And he shall come upon princes as upon mortar, and as the potter treadeth clay. Who hath declared from the beginning that we may know, and before time, that we may say, he is righteous. Yea, there is none that showeth. Yea, there is none that declareth. Yea, there is none that heareth your words. It's all about his words. This is a prophetical statement about the Savior. The righteous one. You go on and read 
the man of sorrows in Isaiah chapter 53. A lot of Isaiah points towards the coming of a Savior. The Bible refers to him all throughout Isaiah and Zechariah as the branch of Jesse, the one who will build and bear and rule in the name of God the Father with a rod of iron, the Bible says in Revelation. This is Jesus Christ, the Savior. So as confrontational as the challenge may be, as confrontational as the truth may be, Praise the Lord. The Lord never gives you those things without also giving you the Savior. He says, now you've seen who you are. Now you've seen who you're not. Wouldn't that be a devastating story if that's all that there was? But then he says, but there's a Savior. He offers what I like to call space for repentance. Space for repentance. It's not about what you know. It's about what you believe. The Bible says all kinds of things about God that aren't even possible for us to grasp. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8 says, I am he that was dead and is alive and will be alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and hell. You realize that God, the Savior, referred to himself in all three tenses of human existence, past, present, and future, all as if it was right now. I am alive, I was dead, and I will be alive forevermore. (laughs) I don't even have the capacity inside my mind. I don't have words in English to define how that's possible. You understand, dealing with God often just means accepting what he says more than understanding. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Chapter 11 verse 1 says faith is the substance of things hoped for. That means I can literally grab a hold of it and the evidence of things not seen. Humanity usually reverses that. I need the substance and the evidence first, then I'll have faith. No, that's just called common knowledge. Common knowledge. And so we have the opportunity once the challenge has been issued Once we understand the truth about ourselves, we have the opportunity to have the Savior. He is everything, and I am nothing. John said he must increase, I must decrease. He is given to me by God for God's purpose and cause, which he says is to have a relationship with God. There is no other cause apart from the Lord's. All other causes, all else, can only be described as nothing, as abomination, as wind and confusion. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 9. Philippians 2, 5 through 9, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which also is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's his name. It's his life. It's what he does through you, not what you do with his help. It's him. It's always been him. It's only ever going to be him. And praise the Lord, you can have him. You can have him. There might be any number of reasons for a message like this tonight. I'm not the judge of those things. But if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there might be things in your life concerning God challenging you and a truth that he's showing you that needs to be accepted tonight. You say, I didn't really come here to Wednesday, Thursday night to get... <laughs> you have two choices. <clears throat> you can say, hey, that was good. Or you might say, hey, that was bad. That guy's really kind of a jerk. You know, that's up to you. But whatever you decide, you can say, that's done, and I can go home and do my thing. Put this into my rearview mirror. Or I can say, Lord, there's been things that I have been doing that are abomination to you, and I have been wind and confusion and I need to repent tonight. There's things that you have exposed yourself to and maybe your family to that need to be repented of. You might be on the other side and say, well, I've never actually dealt with the Savior. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time of salvation. Now. You say, what does that look like? It's hard, but it's not complicated. I go to the Lord and I fall on my face with a broken and contrite heart and I say, Father, I'll tell you a story about the first guy that ever got saved and I'll be done at Wasatch Front Baptist Church. Is it okay if I tell you that? <clears throat> I won't tell you his name, but a woman had been invited to church and she brings her four children. <clears throat> and um, she goes home. She tells her husband, this guy's different. You might like him. He reluctantly comes to church. Bald, big long beard. He's got studs in his beard. Tattoos down both arms, down the knuckles. They're military tattoos. I knew what they were. <clears throat> big tough guy. He came to church. He sat there and listened to the whole message. I tried to get him, but he, I couldn't. He got to his car and left before I got to him. Next Sunday, he comes again. Third Sunday, he comes again. Whole family's coming to church. <clears throat> One Sunday, I give an invitation. Coming out of Roman Catholicism. They look it. Okay, they, they've had a, a hard life. Hard life. I love them dearly. And uh, he survives the invitation. I watched him. You ever watch someone survive an invitation? And then you kind of say, well, we're going to have the piano stop and we're going to, everybody can look up here and you can see him just like, oh. And the Lord said, go again. I said, no, you know what? We're not done. The armor was down now and you could see it all over him. Oh, he wouldn't move. He wouldn't move. I said, if you're here tonight and you need to be saved and you know it, would you just step into the aisle? And I need you to know that if you do, I'm going to come get you. He did this. 
I was up at the pulpit, and I kind of looked at him. He kind of looked at me, looked back down. He was mad. I'm like that. And he looked up, and I had him that time, and I said, do you want me to come get you? He nodded. I went and got him to my office. You know what his prayer was? Lord, I'm wrong. And I've always been wrong. And I'll do whatever you say. That was it. That was it. Six months later, his wife gets saved. Six, seven months later, one of his children gets saved. They're all coming to Bible college. His wife's showing up, these beautiful dresses and on the girls and just trying to look, the, you know, do the whole thing. One day he shows up, all the little, little skulls and beads are out of his beard, you know. Just little steps. He's now the treasurer of Wasatch Front Baptist Church. Handles everything for me. Runs invitations and announcements when I'm gone. You walk in my church, you would not look at him and be like, that's the guy we need to talk to. <laughs> you would probably keep your distance from him. That's okay, he'll come get you. <laughs> he'll come get you. The Lord can take what the world is usually used to seeing, the worst of us, and make the best of us from them. But the other thing the world's not so used to seeing is the Lord take Christian people. The Lord take cultural Christian people and show them who they really are. Challenge them and tell them the truth 